Boozed and Confused is a comedy and weird topic podcast. Adult language may be used probably by me. While our episode topics may be educational in nature, we are not responsible if your children start dropping the F-bomb to their kindergarten class. Listener discretion is advised. everybody. Hey. Welcome back to another episode of Booze and Confused. Which, I, which, which one, one is this? This is, oh shit, is this episode 69? Oh my god, this is episode 69. Nice. We're going to talk about how the American government got fucked. Kind of. By kind a guy of. <laughs> who they thought okay. was totally their guy. <laughs> nice. Um, okay, so before we get into today's episode, we have some uh, housekeeping. I'm Carol Ann. I'm housekeeping. And uh, yeah, welcome back. All right, housekeeping. Uh, it's a me episode, as you can tell. I'm really excited about this episode. I have not been this jazzed about just the amount of like insanity that's in this article. Uh, so I'm very excited. So without further ado, a couple housekeeping items. Uh, the first one is we're on all your favorite social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Parlor is that Twitter. one? Twitter. Stop it. Oh, we're on Twitter. Twitter, right? And uh, if you want to send us a message, you can DM us on any of those platforms. If social media is not really your thing, and you would rather send us uh, an email, you can send us an email at boozeandconfusedpodcast at gmail dot com. And uh, I read them, even the spam ones um, that you are like, spam? What, do you want to promote your podcast? Yes. And I'm like, yes, thank you, growth manager. And um, it's also uh, like a little red pill you take. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Growth answer. <laughs> and let's see, what's the next one? If you like the pod and you want to support us, the best way that you can do that is by... Um, following and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts, uh, leaving us a review. Um, always appreciated. I also just recently found out that you can apparently leave reviews on Spotify or that's like a beta thing. It's because a relatively new thing. I've been leaving one-star reviews on what? mainly us. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I have like 12 accounts. <laughs> um, so if you feel so inclined to do that, it's always very appreciated. It makes our day. And um, even if you just like want to leave some sh shitty comments on YouTube videos, uh, that always gives us a good kick. So it's enjoyable. Uh, but if you leave us a review and you take a screenshot of it, send a picture of it to us, um, you know, on the Insta or whatever, uh, or email it to us. Uh, we'll send you some Boost and Confuse stickers for free. So we we still got some. We're still getting through the first batch. We're down to about 2,000. So Business is booming. <laughs> you know, really. It's going great. Really. Going great. Um, all right. And the last one is what, what are, are we drinking? drinking? Oh, my gosh. Oh, jinx. jinx. This is disgusting. Stop it. <laughs> We're drinking the same thing. So you go ahead. Oh, um. It's a Sierra Nevada. It's pale ale. It's uh, it's pretty solid. I love Sierra Nevada. It is one of my favorites, and uh, I think it's family owned, which I'm a big fan of. 
So it's um, Sierra Nevada, not Sierra Nevada. Do you uh, enjoy the smell of your own farts? It's Sierra Nevada. <laughs> okay, great. It's Liviosa, the nut Liviosa. All right. So um, I think let's just get into today's episode. Uh, so today's episode is about a man named Robert Hansen, uh, who is the worst intelligence disaster in U.S. history. I thought he was that guy um, who would catch all the predators. That's Chris Hansen. Chris Hansen. No relation. Oh, no, it's Chris Hansen. <laughs> okay, before we get into today's episode, I have a small update, actually, about what? last week's episode. We update? The um, CCC, the Center for COVID Control, um, there's more reporting that came out. So there's a new headline from another Block Club Chicago like investigative article. The headline was, Center for COVID Control get got $124 million from the feds oh while God. telling workers to lie about results and throw tests in the trash. That's according to ex-employees. Uh, ex-workers of the embattled testing chain also said the company used a U-Haul to avoid inspectors. Oh and there man. were positive tests in there that were being thrown out. So if you want to read the full thing, look at Block Club Chicago. They've got it on there. Oh, they're, they're doing good work. We we drove by a uh, CCC uh, location. Probably many. Last weekend. Yeah. There's when, a lot of them. Man, what were we doing? I don't know. Going to Target? I think we were buying diapers or something of yep. the sort. Yeah. And now I go, oh my gosh, it's a sort of COVID control thing. Yeah. They're, and, yeah. they're we everywhere. We didn't go. We did not go. But I did give them my insurance. <laughs> and my um, social security number, just in case. So back to today's episode. This was inspired by a Reddit post that I saw. And if you're also a Redditor, you may or may not have seen the same thing. Um, But I saw it and I had never heard of this before. So I did some research and it was really interesting. And here we are. So um, Robert Hansen, the worst intelligence disaster in U.S. history. Before we get to the meat of it, we'll talk about Robert and his past a little bit. So Robert's a Chicago man. He was born to a Lutheran family, uh, and I promise that's relevant, uh, lived in the Norwood Park neighborhood. So his dad's name was Howard. Uh, Howard, I kind of want to call him Howie. Howard was a Chicago police officer and apparently just a giant asshole uh, who was emotionally abusive to Robert when he was a kid. So maybe it factors in a little bit. I don't know. Some of us go to therapy. Some of us go to therapy. Some of us commit espionage. I don't know. Uh, Different paths. Uh, So Robert went to Knox College in Illinois, got a bachelor's in chemistry in 1966, and then tried to get into the National Security Agency, so the NSA. NSA, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But there were internal issues there, I think, happening at the time, so he didn't get a job. So he decides to go to dental school at Northwestern. Sounds like a great pivot. Uh, And after three years, he's like, yeah, I'm more into business. Uh, So it's at Northwestern that he meets his wife, Bonnie. Bonnie is a hardcore Roman Catholic. Uh, They get married in 1968. He converts from Lutheranism to Catholicism for his wife. And I know this seems weird to harp on. Why are you talking about this? But I promise that it's relevant. I promise you that it's relevant. I, I swear. Okay. So he gets an MBA in accounting and information systems in 1971, and he takes a job with an accounting firm. And he's there for about a year uh, at the accounting firm until he decides to join the Chicago Police Department as an internal affairs investigator that specialized in forensic accounting. 
you know, you got to think that this guy was, if you had a, like an emergency, like in the accounting firm, like, oh no, someone's tooth hurts. This guy would be pretty good to have on your side for counting or like minor dental, dental issues. Work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that is very convenient. Jack of all trades. Or like he pulls you over because he's a cop now. And <laughs> he's you're not like, a cop. And you're like, he's not a oh, cop. my tooth really hurts. And then he's like, oh, let me get that for you. Here's a ticket and I'll take this tooth. Yeah. So he spends like three or four years with the police department and then he decides to join the FBI. So he officially becomes a special agent on January 12th, 1976. Uh, just keep that in mind. 1976. It's wild how long this goes on for. So he's transferred from Chicago uh, to the FBI's uh, field office in Gary, Indiana, which is like 30-ish minutes away, I would say, from the city. Is that a downgrade? Yeah, it's a little bit. Although I don't know what Gary, Indiana was like in the 70s, to be honest. Ooh, it might have been like a bastion of democracy and hope. Maybe. And not. I'll have to give it a look. I honestly don't know. Um, so they spend a couple of years in Indiana. He investigates like white collar crime. And at this point they have three freaking kids already. They just got married. Um, they end up having like six kids total. And then they move to New York City after the FBI transferred him to the new field office there. So 1979, he's moved into counterintelligence and they say, hey, you should compile a database of Soviet intelligence for the FBI. And this is where Robert starts to meet his downfall. Wait, he meets his downfall? Meets, begins his downfall? Sure. Sure. Does You're, he meet someone who brings about this downfall? It's himself. He is his he own He meets downfall. him greeting his greedy self, yes. He meets himself. Yeah. Looks okay. himself right <laughs> in the mirror. He's like, you son of a bitch, I'm in. <laughs> Okay, so 1979 is when this starts. So this project. Is, this is three years after mm-hmm. 1976, approximately. Yep. yep. So it's in 1979 that Robert decides to take this very valuable information that he's put together, uh, and he brings it to the Soviet Main Intelligence uh, Directorate, which is the GRU, and he offers his services. Uh, So during this time, he provides huge amounts of information to the GRU, like details of the FBI's bugging activities, lists of suspected Soviets, uh, intelligence agents. So obviously very valuable information. Uh, So why why does he jump on this to so he 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 does his job, he compiles this information and then rather than doing the the job that he's paid to do by the people who employ him he goes ah, i'm gonna go to these guys well because he still did the job for the u.s government it's just why would you only take one stream of income you can have two. when you could have two oh. for the same amount of work that's classic Genius. two birds one stone Genius. <laughs> it's what someone who finished college with a bachelor's degree in um business would do yeah it's exactly. called passive income baby <laughs> Side hustle. Hashtag grind. Grind never ends. (laughs) Grind and shine. I don't know what they say. Um, So the list of suspected Soviet uh, intelligence agents includes uh, Dmitry Polyakov. I'm so sorry, Dmitry, who's probably dead. Polyakov. Classic. Um, Yes, of course. Yeah, of course. Know him very well. Do you? Yeah. Oh, Michi? Michi Polly. 
I don't know. Who the fuck? What? What? Are you serious? Yes. Why do you talk like you guys are pen pals? Because we are pen pals. Okay. Well, so Dimitri was a CIA informant known by codenames Bourbon and Rome. Uh, the FBI knew him as Top Hat, uh, which I just, I want the codename Bourbon. I kind of feel like after this episode, we should just come up with codenames for each other. Codenames. Yeah. Uh, and we'll get one for the executive producer too. Don't worry. So he was considered the crown jewel of U.S. intelligence. He was a CIA informant for 25 years, rises through the Soviet military ranks, and he eventually becomes a general. And he was involved in providing just like invaluable information to the U.S. government, like um, evidence of the growing rift between the Soviet Union and China, which uh, played a crucial role in Richard Nixon deciding to open uh, diplomatic relations with China in 1972. Uh, Technical data on Soviet-made anti-tank missiles. And so the U.S. never fought the Soviet Union directly, but, um, you know, knowing of these weapons were uh, or was was incredibly valuable when Iraq employed them in the Gulf War. And then uh, the last piece was proof of spying by Frank Bossard for the USSR. So, Dimitri ended up being arrested by the KGB in 1986, years after he had retired. And the CIA contacts that he had previously made were just absolutely clueless about what happened. They had no idea. He pretty much just fell off the face of the earth. Uh, Robert, as well as another CIA mole by the name of Aldrich Ames, which is a very important name to remember. Aldrich Ames, memorized, Mm -hmm. yes. Outed Dimitri as a double agent. And Dimitri was eventually executed in 1988. Uh, So what's interesting is that Robert had provided that information earlier than Ames, but it wasn't until Ames had outed him that the Soviets took action. Oh, so who have I been writing this whole time? (laughs) It has not been Dimitri. I'm sorry to tell you. You've been catfished. Oh, kurva. Yeah. So I'm going to throw in this little like M. Night Shyamalan twist. Okay. The CIA and FBI actually believed that at some point Dimitri was acting as a triple agent who deceived the West with misinformation. Wait, so he was a Russian spy pretending to be an American spy pretending to be a Russian spy? Yeah, something like that. Wait, a Russian spy pretending to be an American spy? Pretend- okay, no, actually, that makes complete yep. sense. Mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, crazy. So back to Robert. So it's 1980, and Robert's wife uh, caught him with, like, some suspicious-looking papers. And um, he admits to selling secrets to the Soviets. But he claimed that the information he had given them was worthless. Like, he deceived them, but he got a ton of money for it. And so his wife insists that he stops it immediately. That's good wifely advice. And then... He, Robert says, like, you know what? I'm going to sever my ties with the Soviets and then confessed to a priest who told him to donate the dirty money to charity. Give it to my church right now. (laughs) That's why the whole uh, religious part was um, uh, relevant. Where does the Lutheran part come in? Uh, there's like a whole thing that I didn't include in today's episode because it felt like it would detract from it a little bit, but he becomes part of this, uh, like Catholic 
organization and ends up trying to convert Lutherans to Catholicism and like bring them into this group. Um, there's also a lot of really freaky shit. Like he, I, mm. I don't want to get into it too much, okay. but like at one point he had like insisted that one of his friends would like, should like watch him and his wife have sex like through a window and then like record it. Um, like he's, he's not a great guy by any means. I will say he's actually gross. Uh, but the <laughs> article that I got a lot of this information from has all of like the freaky details. I just wanted to focus more on the conspiracy aspect for today. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. So 1981 comes around, uh, Robert transfers from, uh, you know, his current location to the FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C. And uh, they end up moving to the suburbs in Virginia, like most people do. <laughs> the suburbs, not the Virginia part. Uh, so with being in the headquarters and the, his current role, he has access to FBI activities like wiretapping and electronic surveillance, and he becomes known as an expert on computers. So he, again, transfers <laughs> positions. This time it's like 1984. Ooh, creepy. Oh, it's, it's happening. It's <laughs> happening right now. It's like literally 1984 right now. And so he transfers into the FBI's Soviet analytical uh, unit. And they were primarily responsible for studying and identifying and capturing Soviet spies and intelligence operations in the U.S., uh, so his division was specifically responsible for evaluating Soviet agents who volunteered to give intelligence to determine whether they were genuine or redoubled agents. So his wife knows he's a double spy. Yes. His priest knows. Yes. But the FBI doesn't. Correct. What if the priest was actually an FBI agent? What if he was actually a Soviet spy? Acting as a U.S. spy. Acting as a priest. Yeah, exactly. What if his <laughs> wife was a Russian acting as an American, acting as a Russian, acting as his wife, but is actually married to the priest? <laughs> Honestly, some of that like Inception shit comes into play later in this episode, which no. is why I love it so much. No. It's wild. So he's again transferred in 1985 to the field office in New York, and he continues his counterintelligence against the Soviets. And after this transfer, he's on a business trip to um, D.C. He decides to pick his espionage career back up. And like any normal person would, uh, he sends an anonymous letter to the KGB and asks for $100,000 in cash. That's in 1985 money, uh, which is like $260,000 in today's money. And to win trust, he says, hey, Boris Yuzin, Valerie Martinov, and Sergei, Sergei? Sergei. Uh, Matorin are KGB agents that are secretly working for the FBI. So he's like requesting and for or he's requesting money and sends a letter a little bit, and yeah. yep and tries to like sprinkle a little bit in there. And so Ames name comes back up here because he had already exposed them earlier in 1985. Okay. So that information was already known. Um, Yuzin ended up being in prison for six years, but then was released under general amnesty to political prisoners. Uh, he ended up emigrating to the U.S. So that was like the best outcome for anybody in this story, probably. Uh, Marinov and Matorin uh, d 
did not have so great of an outcome. Um, they were both executed via gunshot to the back of the head. So they were just executed. Yeah. They weren't like on trial. Nope. They were just killed. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The gun there was the justice system, according to the Soviets. So the important takeaway here is because Ames was already suspected for giving up those names, the FBI did not think anything of Robert at this point. Oh. And it's, uh, what, 85 yeah, we've, at this we've, point? We, yeah, we've jumped for it a little bit. Yep. Okay. So 1987, Robert takes another trip to D.C. And here's where it gets really inception-y. They give him the task of trying to find the man who betrayed Martinov and Matorin. So it's him. <laughs> oh, can you find... <laughs> But they know it's him now? They don't know it's him. Oh, Nobody suspects that it's him. You gotta find this guy. So he gives the names up. And, um, you know, obviously Ames had also given up the names at that point. But they're trying to figure out, like, who's the mole within the organization. And they're looking for him, but they don't know that they're looking for him. But he knows that they are looking for him. When they ask him, does he, like, hold up a mirror and look at himself? <laughs> sure thing, boss. And then go, I'm on it, chief. Yeah. Uh, so, obviously, this means he has to put work together so they don't suspect anything. But he has to do it in a way that does not actually give himself up. So, it has to make it look like he's trying um, without trying too hard. So, he does the study and then... Uh, promptly turns it over to the KGB in 1988. And the study is a list of all of the Soviets who had contacted the FBI about FBI moles. And he reveals secret information to a Soviet defector during a debriefing, um, which is a very serious security breach. And it's just like a giant red flag in general if you're going to like throw that kind of information around to somebody who should absolutely not have clearance to it. Uh, and his subordinates actually report him for it. And the supervisors don't do anything. Another red flag. <laughs> okay. 1989. There's an FBI investigation that's happening into um, Felix Block, who's like a State Department official who's under suspicion for espionage. And Robert warns the KGB that uh, Felix is under investigation. The KGB cuts contact with Felix like immediately. The FBI can't get hard evidence of it, um, but they fire Felix and they denied him his pension. And it's this investigation and the investigation of how the KGB found out that they were investigating Felix that drove the mole hunt and eventually led it to Robert. Okay, this is like the beginning of like, the FBI being onto something here. But Hold it's a on. long journey until we get there. <laughs> Good old Rob? Never. Never. So later in 1989, uh, Robert hands over information about American planning for measurement and signature intelligence, which includes like radar and spy satellites and signal intercepts. And the Soviets started building this new uh, embassy in D.C. back in like 1977. And when they were doing that, the FBI dug a tunnel under the decoding room, uh, tried, you know, or wanted to use it for eavesdropping. They never actually did use it, but the tunnel was there for that purpose. So Robert tells the Soviets about it in 1989. They paid him $55,000 for it. For that information? For that information. That's crap information. <laughs> I know. Do you, how, how fun would it be if our, if our governments kept playing these dumb games? 
what dumb games i'm sure that they do we this just like don't know spy versus spy yeah. like the mad tv yeah so aside from these like specific quote projects that he had worked on um he had also given the soviets a couple lists of um american double agents uh on like two separate occasions so he's kind of a piece of shit sorry robert i'm not sorry actually and you'll never listen to this so it's okay um so it's really not officially until 1990 that there's some eyebrows raised about Robert, which is wild. Because remember, it's like mid-80s that he starts doing this shit. So his brother-in-law, who also works for the FBI, told the FBI that Robert should be investigated for espionage. Straight up, full stop. Like, hey, I know that there's a mole and I think you guys should look into Robert. Uh, Robert's wife at one point had disclosed to her sister that she found a pile of cash on a dresser in their house. And Robert's wife had also told her brother that Robert talked about retiring in Poland, which is very convenient. Isn't it, comrade? So, again, the brother-in-law worked, you know, that worked for the FBI, knew there was a mole, uh, and straight up, like, told his supervisor and nothing happened. Can you imagine how, like, like vindicated the brother-in-law must have felt when it was like, yep, Robert Hansen is a piece of shit. He's like, I told you. Yeah. 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 Can you, like, what do you think those Thanksgiving dinners are like? A little awkward. Ah, oh, man. I wonder, you can only wonder how uh, tight-lipped they were. Yeah. Has to be pretty tight-lipped. Um, pop quiz. Are you ready for it? Yeah, uh, yeah. What happened to the Soviet Union in 1991? Oh, it collapsed. It collapsed. It it did collapse. So Robert watches this happen, and he's like, oh, fuck. Oh, no. <laughs> My pension. <laughs> now there's a huge chance that he'll be exposed. And because there's a great risk of him being outed, he breaks off communication with his contacts, like, immediately. Because he can't get enough and he's so fucking greedy, he watches the Russian Federation take over the defunct Soviet spy agencies and he's like, yep, I want in on that. I'm going to I'm going to hit that. I'm sure I'm sure he didn't say that. I'm going to hit that. (laughs) So he approaches the GRU again after like 10 months of complete silence. And he goes in person to the Russian embassy physically approaches a GRU officer in the parking garage while carrying a package of documents, identifies himself as codename Ramon Garcia. Okay, so, like, he's not masked or anything. It's full face. Here's who I am. He discloses that he's an FBI agent. Um, And the problem is that his Soviet codename does not like doesn't compute travel yeah yeah yeah, doesn't carry over and he's meeting with a russian officer who obviously does not recognize it so the russian officer is just like "Mm, bye i just held up a middle finger that you guys can't see but he literally just gun you were holding no he literally just drives out he's like fuck you i don't know you this is sketchy goodbye yeah yanis (laughs) nayo so then The Russians file an official protest with the State Department because they thought Robert was a triple agent. So, okay, an American spy posing as, wait, an American double agent actually is still an American Mm -hmm. on the American side. Mm -hmm. 
this is like that it's like playing that game, you know, like you're playing like guns as kids and you're like, nah, I shot you first. Like, yeah. nah, I have magic <laughs> armor and a dragon. So even though he showed up in person, said he was an FBI agent and gave his code name, the FBI's investigation went nowhere. Really? Really, really, really. This is like your friend who keeps going back to like the bad partner that they're like, there's just so many fucking red flags. And you're like, Rachel, are you sure? Like he's kind of a dickhead. And she's like, no, it's totally fine. And, and just brushes it off. So 1993 comes around. We've been on this journey for a while. Robert hacks into the computer of his fellow FBI agent, Ray Mislock, and he prints out this classified document from Mislock's computer and then took the document to Mislock and said, you didn't believe me that the system was insecure, which is kind of a weird thing to do. Uh, so Robert's superiors were like, hey, what the fuck? That's not cool. Don't hack your buddy's <laughs> Facebook profile. They launched an investigation. And in the end, they believed his claim that he was just demonstrating flaws in the security system. But Miss Locke actually theorized that Robert went onto his computer to see if his superiors were investigating him for espionage and then just said, like, you know, oh, I found this document uh, to cover his tracks and pretend like that's totally all he was doing. I was totally on your team. I was just, if I could hack you, somebody else could too. Yep. So somewhere around 1997, uh, a convicted FBI mole, Earl Edwin Pitts, says he thinks Robert's dirty because of the mislock incident. And Pitts is the second FBI agent to mention that Robert's dirty. And again, superiors think nothing of it golden boy robert oh no way never a chance so uh it personnel from the national security divisions iis unit were sent to investigate robert's desktop uh following a reported failure and the chief ordered the computer impounded after it appeared to have been tampered with and so this investigation found that there was an attempted hacking uh, and that took place using like a password cracking program that was installed by Robert, which caused a security alert and a lockup. So there is confirmation about it. Um, you know, the chief reports uh, or files a report with this uh, Office of Professional Responsibility requesting further investigation of Robert's attempted hack. And Robert claimed that he was attempting to connect a color printer to his computer, but needed the password cracker to bypass the administrative warning or the administrative password. So the FBI believed that and just gave him a warning for it. I just needed more cyan. Oh, my God. Okay, so during the same time period, Hansen searched the FBI's internal computer case uh, record to see if he was under investigation. But also, can you imagine, like, if you worked for the FBI and you were under investigation, but you also had access to your own files that you were being investigated? I feel like that would be very sloppy. Yeah, and you had your own printer now. <laughs> yeah. So he was indiscreet enough to type his own name into the FBI search engines and he found nothing and he decided to resume his spy career after eight years without contact with the Russians. And so he established contact with the SVR, which is the successor to the Soviet era KGB, um, in the fall of 1999. And he continues to perform highly incriminating searches of FBI files for his own name and address. Jesus fucking Christ. So he begins spying on himself. <laughs> yeah. 
So Ames, remember that name, gets arrested in 1994, and his exposure explains a lot of the issues that happen with counterintelligence since, like, the 80s. They're like, oh, oh, yep, that makes sense. This checks out. Oh, just Ames. Um, But there's a couple things that don't add up for the FBI, like um, that Felix Block investigation and the embassy tunnel uh, information being linked. And Ames had been stationed in Rome at the time of the Felix investigation, and he, you know, couldn't have known about that case. And he also couldn't have known about the tunnel under the embassy uh, because he didn't work for the FBI. So, uh, 1994 comes around and, uh, the FBI and CIA form this joint mole hunting team. And from this investigation, they cleared some suspected moles, but then they found other penetrators, uh, like (laughs) (laughs) Harold James Nicholson. And again, Robert is completely undetected. His name doesn't pop up. He's not interrogated. Nothing. They focus more on CIA agents rather than FBI agents, which is why he fell through the cracks. So, deep breaths. 1998, they investigate a man named Brian Kelly, who's a CIA operative involved in that Felix investigation. They search his house, they tap his phone, they put him under surveillance, they follow him and his family everywhere. And in November of 1998, they had a man with a foreign accent come to Kelly's door, warn him that the FBI knew he was a spy, and tell him to show up at a metro station the next day in order to escape. Kelly instead, because he's not a fucking spy, (laughs) reports the incident to the FBI. And in 1999, the FBI even interrogated him, his ex-wife, two sisters, and his three children. And like they all denied everything because obviously he was not a spy. And he was eventually actually placed on administrative leave um, where he remained falsely accused until after Robert was arrested. I don't know what they would have had that would have tied him to all the shit that Robert did, uh, which is interesting. So they do start to make progress after they pay $7 million to a KGB agent named Alexander. God, you ever type something and you're like, yeah, I can I can totally do this. Totally crush this word. Um, Sherbekov. Sherbekov. There was, that yep. last one was really good. Yep. <laughs> so uh, Alexander had access to a file on quote B. Uh, the file didn't have Robert's name, but there were audio tapes between B and another KGB agent. And the FBI agent that was investigating felt the voice was familiar, but like could not place where it belonged uh, or like who it belonged to. And so while going through the rest of the files, they found notes of the mole using a very racist quote. I had to look this up and I was like, ooh, who says this shit? Um, From General George S. Patton. And an analyst with the FBI remembered Robert using that quote. Remember when I said he was a piece of shit? Um, Remembered Robert using that super racist quote. And the agent who was investigating went back, re-listened to the audio tape, and then placed the voice as Robert's. So we're finally starting to make progress. It only cost them millions of dollars. So I know that we're not going to say it on the air, but can you give me a hint? I, I, I won't. Um... I'll just let you, I'll, you know, if you read the article, it's in the article. Ooh. Yeah. So, 
so finally, I'm like shocked they didn't put all of this together and go like, no, that's not Robert. That's not Robert. That can't be Robert. So Robert's finally fucking put under uh, surveillance. Um, they find out he's in contact with the Russians. They promote him in December of 2000 to keep him like close enough, but like far enough away oh from gosh. sensitive information uh, so that, you know, he's like not getting you suspicious. Give him a desk job. Exactly. So with all great promotions comes your own office and an assistant. Uh, so they gave Robert both of those in January 2001. His assistant, who is named Eric O'Neill, was actually a surveillance specialist who was watching Robert. And Eric is immediately like, yep, Robert's storing information on his Palm 3 PDA. Uh, palm? Yeah. I had a Palm. Yeah, for all you uh, little youngins listening to this, go Google that. I want you to see a, what we had to deal uh, with when we were, you know, kids. Yeah, it was a Palm Pro. It was a little sliding phone. Yeah, so Eric gets the PDA for a little bit. I don't really know how. And the agents download and decode the encrypted contents. And finally, the FBI has, like, all the evidence they need that it's fucking Robert. No. No. <laughs> Never. He was at my son's bar mitzvah. <laughs> okay, so Robert starts to get the heebie-jeebies that something's wrong, right? He's, like, getting a little suspicious that they're getting a little suspicious. And it's, like, a... the Spider-Man pointing meme. Mm -hmm, so February mm -hmm. 2001 comes around, and he asks his friend at a tech company for a job, which is, like, really optimistic uh, that you wouldn't be caught committing fucking espionage. <laughs> For 20-something years, and that you wouldn't go to jail for the rest of your life. So, I don't know. Um, he writes to the KGB that he's, like, promoted to this do-nothing job outside of regular access to information, and that something has aroused the sleeping tiger. That's what he said. Those were his words. Really? He used that quote? Yeah. He quoted, he quoted Japan? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? You know what? After all of this, you know what I've learned? I've learned that Robert is not a quitter. So because Robert's not a quitter, he does one more dead drop. <laughs> so in mid-February 2001, he placed a white piece of tape on a park sign, which was a signal to his Russian contacts that there was information at the dead drop site. And he then followed his usual routine. He like took this package consisting of sealed garbage bag of classified material and taped it to the bottom side of a wooden footbridge over a creek. And the FBI agents that were watching him saw this. They rushed in to catch uh, uh, Hansen red-handed and arrested him. What's really cool is the FBI has released video of this. So you could actually go watch the video watch of tonight, him getting yes. arrested. Um, he walks away so casually and then he's just like immediately met with like all these agents with massive guns. And he's like, no, the guns aren't necessary. Um, so after he's arrested, actually, uh, Robert says, what took you so long? Robert, that's a great fucking question. <laughs> well, he's yes, he's not wrong. He's um, like, you know, I was just testing you the whole time. Oh my God. The whole time. So the FBI waited two more days to see if any of the SVR handlers would actually show up at the park. And then, you know, nobody showed up. So they announced his arrest on February 20th. And 
he ends up negotiating this plea bargain that enables him to escape the death penalty in exchange for cooperating with authorities. So finally, July 2001, he pleads guilty to 15 counts of espionage and one conspiracy to commit espionage in the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Virginia. And in May of 2002, he's sentenced to 15 consecutive sentences of life in prison without the possibility of parole. So when's he getting out? Never. Never. So he said, I apologize for my behavior. I am shamed by it. I've opened the door for uh, calumny. Calamity? No. C-A-L-U-M-N-Y? Sure. Sure. Uh, Calumny. I'm going to look that up. Against my totally innocent wife and children, I have hurt so many deeply. Um, He is... (laughs) Federal Bureau of Prisons, prisoner number 48551083, and he's serving his sentence at the ADX Florence, a federal supermax prison near Florence, Colorado. He is in solitary confinement for 23 hours a day. Oh my gosh. I imagine um, he probably looks terrible. Yeah. So at the end of it all, Robert made more than $1.4 million in cash and diamonds. For his espionage, which is ultimately why he did it. When he was asked why he did it, it wasn't because of any like political thinking. It was purely for the money. That's not even that much. It's, I mean, one point four million back then is probably a good amount, but still not enough. Not enough. Not enough. Not enough. He should have just quit while he was ahead. To be honest, he got greedy, and that's what did it for him. It was that dang printer? It was the. It was the printer. It was the printer. Um. So that is Robert Hansen. Uh, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I have a lot of stuff linked in the the sources. There's a couple of um, links to like FBI articles where they talk about it. Uh, they have like an artifact of the month article that uh, is his like little business card. Um, and then there's a couple of really good articles from like Crime Museum and History.com. So highly recommend checking it out if you're interested at all, if you enjoyed it. But if you didn't enjoy it, I can't imagine that you'd still be listening to this point. I bet his business card, like on the front, was like his name, FBI, and then on the back side, it was like also KGB. Yeah, <laughs> or on the back, it's like the same thing, but just translated maybe into like Russian. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I really enjoyed this topic because it was just so like WTF and I had never heard of it before. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That's all I got. Do you have any final words? No, I'm going to Google them and I want to see him get uh, captured. Ca- what? I'm going to see him get captured. Oh, or you want to watch the video? The video I was captured. like, he's already in prison. Yeah. Yeah. Go watch the videos. It's really neat. Um, all right. Well, that's, I think that's it for today's episode. So thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you next week. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.